Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 115 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I've been excited about this episode for a while. Uh, you may not know the name Sean C. Well, if you live in Athens, Georgia, you certainly do. But I promise you, you're not going to forget this story. Sean went through something that is surprisingly common for those of us in leadership and particularly in ministry. And it wasn't exactly a burnout, but it was kind of a crash. His church was growing like crazy, but on the inside, he was crumbling and things were not going well at home. And I've talked about some of the personal challenges that have come my way in leadership. And Sean is about as raw and authentic and honest as you will ever hear. Um, I am so grateful. I've known Sean for over a decade. I'm so grateful for his friendship. But I am, I am so thankful for how honest he is in this conversation. And I had heard him... A couple months ago, uh, well, first of all, I mean, I was tracking with Sean when all of this went down, but I had heard him talk about it publicly for the first time a few months ago on my friend Rich Birch's podcast, uh, Shorter Version, which you should check out. We'll link to that in the show notes. And I just said to Sean, hey, man, would, would you tell the story on my podcast so my listeners can hear? And he said, absolutely. And I think you'll be blown away by his transparency and by his honesty. And, and again, it just absolutely the way he talks about what happened and how God has rebuilt his life just increases my respect for him, which was already high, but it increases it so much. So I think you're going to be really, really glad you tuned in today. And I want to thank partners like Trained Up who make conversations like this possible. If you haven't checked out Trained Up yet, would you do that today? Just hand out over to trainedup.org. They are doing an unbelievable job of helping churches train people. Have you ever run into this situation where like you pour hours and hours into a training event and you do it like on a Saturday morning or a Tuesday evening and you got 50 volunteers you want to show up? And I mean, you have, you have done everything you can to make this a success and you've emailed and called everybody and everyone says they're coming and 20 out of the 50 people show up. Yep. And then you've kind of spent all your chips. Like, what do you do? It's like, okay, more than half of our volunteers are not trained. Do we try to do it again? And it's just diminishing returns. Well, so much of life is moving online. And the really cool part is that is what Trained Up does. They take your training and they give you an ability to train people online. You don't have to have like a web programmer or a complicated website. They do it on their site. And they're a partner of this podcast. And so if you haven't checked them out, but you think, hey, that could really help us, Check them out at trainedup.org. And also wanted to let you guys know about a really exciting conference coming up in April in Atlanta. It's called Rethink Leadership. And what it does is it brings world-class leaders together in TED Talk-style conversations. So we're going to do short main stages, uh, some incredible breakouts, some affinity conversations, and you'll have a chance to bring your questions. It is for senior leaders only. It happens at the John Maxwell Leadership Center the final week of April. Uh, you can get all the details at rethinkleadership.com. And if you register now, you'll get the best rate available. I'm going to be there. 
John Acuff is going to be there. Reggie Joyner is going to be there. Brad Lominick. And we'll be unveiling the full speaker lineup shortly. But it's going to be an amazing resource if you're a senior pastor or lead pastor, campus pastor, or executive pastor. You qualify. So head on over to RethinkLeadership.com before it sells out and make sure you check that out. Hey, I just want to thank everybody who's left a rating and review, everybody who's encouraged people. You must be, you must be doing something because... Double the number of people are listening to this podcast now than we're listening to it three months ago. I don't know what happened, but you guys have been unbelievable in sharing the word. Thank you so much for that. And hey, my heart, our heart in doing this is just to help you lead like never before. And if this has helped you, leaving a rating or review really means an awful lot. Sharing it on your social media or even sending it, emailing the link to a friend or texting it to a friend. Just awesome. Thanks so much for that. Well, I don't know how it is with your heart, but I just want you to know that is something that I really care about because I think God really cares about that. And if you're winning at work, but you're losing at home, you're losing. And I have been there. I've been winning at work and losing at home, and I was losing in that season. And very few people I know talk about it the way my friend Sean C. talks about it right here in this conversation. So let's jump right into it. I'm really excited to have a guy who's been a good friend for over a decade and a guy that we, we've kind of we kind of done this together, haven't we? But we uh, have both led North Point Strategic Partner Churches. You got in on, on the ground end and um, ground floor, I guess. And uh, it's just a thrill to have you as a guest, lead pastor of Athens Church in Athens, Georgia. Go dogs! I know enough to say that. It's Sean C. Yeah. Welcome, Sean. Oh, man. Thanks, Kerry. We need all the go dog support we can get these days that's for sure but uh man it's it's a privilege to be here love love the podcast love getting to listen to it myself and um, with other people in my circles and yeah thankful to be here today hey so sean let's go back a few years but we're going to talk about you know sort of the difficult personal cost of leadership that has hit me and it hit you in a very particular way but but let's rewind the film a little bit even prior to starting Athens Church in what? Was that 04 or 05 you guys started? That's right. Yeah, we, we had our first service in January of 05. We, mm. in, in the fall of 04, we kind of started pulling a team together. And uh, yeah, that's, that's when we got started officially. That's crazy. But you worked at North Point before that. Was that like right out of college or something like that? And what did, what did you do back then? And what was it like working at North Point before it was like North Point that we all know today? I uh, know, man. Yeah, that that actually, those were really fun days. Uh, actually, backing up a little bit before that, I worked on staff at First Baptist Atlanta um, with the six people that started North Point. I did. So not we know were that. on staff Are together. Yeah, that was that was the part that was right out of college. And then when I went away to seminary, Dallas Seminary, they started North Point. So North Point was kind of um, getting going while I was gone. And then they moved into the building in '98. In '99, uh, I came on staff. And was hired to work uh, in Starting Point, and man, yeah, it was. It was such a, a different world. I think about those days often. I think there were about 25 of us on staff. Hmm. Uh, this is awesome. We used to do staff meeting. We put chairs in a circle, and we met in, get this, the choir room at North Point. There was a and, choir uh, room at North Point? Yeah, Are you kidding yeah, me? It was, it's no a one dream has ever now. told me that. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's been deleted from the official history. It has. It has. So there was a but choir? It was so good. Yeah, back in the day, back in the day, Jeff Geard and team led a choir, and uh, and it was great. So, but yeah, I mean, I remember um, the the office area, which is now I don't know if it's student ministry small group rooms now. I can't remember what it is, but um, there was a huge area, but there were only about 
probably eight cubicles in there. So I remember um, Joel Thomas and Al Scott and Heath Bennett and I throwing football in the open space, you know, there where <laughs> now there are millions of cubicles and, and people. But uh, it, those were fun days, man. It, it really was exciting to see what God was doing. And, and it was really kind of a, a new significant chapter in my life. And I, I think even in, in the American church to some degree. So you worked uh, on Starting Point back in those days. And that was when Reggie Joyner was leading family ministry. And, you know, Andy was, well, it was a lot smaller. So like a lot of our listeners kind of point leadership in just about everything and the whole deal. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, yeah, so I was hired to lead and kind of develop Starting Point. When I got there, Starting Point groups met around upstreet uh, tables. So they were like elementary age tables with like, you know, preschool chairs and and there was no curriculum or anything. And so I got to come in and, and help um, establish and, and be a part of that, which was just absolutely incredible, which is honestly the most life change I've ever seen up close and personal. And it just made me fall in love with this idea of creating a church that unchurch people love to attend. And uh, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Then um, not long after that, we started doing crown ministries that came in mind. Oh, yeah, financial it, pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then that kind of led to we got aligned with the groups division under Bill Willits. And uh, that led to what it ha- had became some of the small group curriculum development that came out of a sermon series. So that was kind of the area that I was in. Uh, uh, and I was on staff there for about five years and just, man, absolutely loved it. That's cool. I remember like sermon series when I was coming on board online from Canada, like I wasn't, you know, I didn't know anybody in Atlanta at the time, but do you remember like Take It to the Limit and mm-hmm. Heroes and uh, sermon yeah. series like that? Oh man, wrestling with fear. We had a you know wrestling ring in the middle of the stage. <laughs> no, those were, um, yeah, those were really really awesome, All awesome times. And so it was, was really impactful for me. What prompted you to as as you know this vision developed to create strategic partner churches and let, uh, well, let let's start with this explain because people ask me this all the time i i you know I'm part of a strategic partner at Connexus Church Athens Church is a strategic partner uh, what what makes a strategic partner different than a network church or a campus like there's sort of three yeah. tiers now yeah 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 so a campus church is essentially there's one set of elders. There's one lead pastor. It is North Point Ministries in Atlanta that meets at six different locations. They're all doing the same exact content. And uh, it's, you know, there's one accounting department that oversees all that happens there. Um, You know, their finances are all in one big pot together. So they're kind of one church in six different locations. Our strategic partner church has the same mission, strategy, values, and beliefs and we're doing the same thing. Uh, we're just doing it in a different location, and we're a separate organization. Right. So um, if North Point, you know, were to go down in flames, or we do, the the other one would still exist. And and so we're able to, um, you know, share a lot of the same ministry ideas, a lot of the same content, but we have the freedom to do that um, autonomously. Yeah, and, and part independently of it, governed and independent budget as well. Absolutely, yes. All of our own finances, our own elders, all, all that. Um, and uh, we are one of the great parts of it. I, I, love, I can't imagine ever starting a church a, another way than, than the, the way we have. But um, one of the great parts of it is just the, the camaraderie, the teammates, and then the ongoing equipping and training that happens, be that a lead pastor retreat, retreat or the ministry area retreats. I mean, they're, they're incredibly helpful. The, the calls that you and I have been on for a long time together, just the, mm-hmm. the community and insight that, that comes from that. And then there are now... Um, 
what we call uh, network churches, which allow access to a lot of the resources that are there, but don't have some of the same financial obligations and maybe uh, I would say, you know, a, a slightly more loose affiliation with North Point. Totally true. So, Sean, you know, that was a big change for you, like being a member of a team to leading a team, which is, I think, huge for all of us. So if you can take yourself back to where you were in 0405 as you were stepping in that leadership seat for the first time, what were some of the adjustments you felt and some of the pressures you felt? I'm going to make the assumption that it was like, just like, oh, this is what it's like to be in charge, right? Like we all have that moment, right? Take us back there. Well, you know, um, I, I had, I would say, first of all, I had the desire to, to be in this seat. Um, I, when I was at Dallas Seminary, I took all the classes they had on church planting and actually wanted to start a church right out of seminary. And I say this all the time that God spoke to me audibly in a voice that sounded just like my wife. And uh, he, he said, uh, hey, Sean, planting a church is a really great idea. You're just not ready to do that. And it, that was humbling at the time, but man, so incredibly true which opened the door to come to North Point. And then I'll never forget sitting in the staff meeting when Troy Fountain stood up and said, hey, I'm moving back to Dothan, Alabama to start a church, going to be a video church. And I mean, I sprinted from there to David McDaniel's office and said, how do those work? How do you figure Mm. out that? I'm I'm so fascinated by that idea. So, you know, launching out into this um, was was a dream. And, And Bonnie and I had thought and prayed about it literally for years and just finally, the time came that she said, OK, I think now is the right time. And so uh, so we moved to Athens, as I said, in, in the fall of four. And, you know, the, the change was um, it was awesome. It, again, it was what I wanted to do. But in, in many respects, it was kind of like um, being a parent in the sense that before you're a parent, all of your, your assumptions and know how about parenting should be laughed at because, you know, you look at all these people with kids and like, well, if they would just X and Y, then, you know, they wouldn't have these problems. And then you actually have your own children and uh, you're humbled really quickly. And Mm -hmm. so uh, for us, man, we, we, uh, I tell people that after our first service, I was ready to write a book on church planting. Uh, We had 500 people at our first service. And I was like, man, I am the greatest church planter there's ever been. I'm about to, you know, be probably put in the New Testament somewhere. And the humblest and church planter. It, exactly. Lived, That's right. right. Well, it got, got me that chapter was coming next. That was chapter two in the book. <laughs> uh, because in, in about uh, seven months, I had grown our church from 500 to 130. Wow. And so um, that during that time as well, I had one of my staff members who's an incredible guy. He was just honestly having a really hard time working for me. And we were just kind of oil and water, weren't working well together. There were four of us to help start the church. He and I were struggling. One of my other uh, buddies got cancer mm. in the middle of this. And uh, and then one of my teammates and I were, were doing really well together. But man, it was a incredibly humbling, dependent season. And so what launched into this with, you know, so much grandeur and bright lights and uh, hope and enthusiasm became, man, this is really, really hard. You know, we were six and a half years as a portable church. And, and, um, now granted it was incredible. We, God was very gracious to us and we experienced a lot of favor, but, but I think, um, quickly I began to notice that the perspective of leader, when you're not in that seat, you see all the positive positives of it. What you can't see or feel is the weight of it. Mm -hmm. And once I got in it, 
I started slowly feeling that way more and more. Yeah, that's really, it's hard to describe to people who have never sat in that top chair, whether that's in business or, you know, in church world or whatever. But, you know, Sean, as, as you know, a year ago, and we talked about it last month on the podcast in, I think, episode 110 or was that it? 110? Yeah, episode 110. Um, Jeff Brody, Jeff Henderson and I talked about my step out of the senior leader's chair. And I would say that's been the biggest surprise to me. It's like when that weight comes off, you you don't even realize how heavy it was. I mean, you and I were texting on the weekend because, you know, and I just said, hey, just remember, dude, it's a season. This is just a season. That's all it is. There'll be a day you're always going to be a dad. You're always going to be a husband, but there'll be a day where you're not the lead pastor. Of course, we just think that day will never, ever come, but it comes for all of us at some point. But the, the surprise of the weight, feeling the weight, and then you bear it for 20 years. You don't notice it anymore. It's just you can't walk straight and you can't figure out why. Harry, seriously, I, I've, I've shared your text with Bonnie um, and uh, with others because it really meant a lot because I... I I, when you're in the middle of it, you feel something is heavy and something is weighing you down and something you, you know, you kind of can't get fully away from, but to be able to talk to someone who's on your other side of the bridge, if you will, and is able to reflect back on that, it was really, really helpful. And, um, so yeah, that, that was a, um, that was a, a huge adjustment and one that was, uh, was very, very humbling. I, I, I will say I was incredibly grateful to have you know, mentors and leaders uh, like Andy and Bill and Lane and David McDaniel and others to, to look up to during that time. But still, no, nobody else can carry that weight for you um, when you're when you're in that spot. It's a surprise. Let's talk about this for a second, because we're going to talk a lot about the personal cost in this podcast. But, you know, those were the early days of church planting for North Point. Um, campuses were brand new. There was Buckhead Church, but there wasn't Brownsbridge yet. So they were two locations, but not six. And it was still experimental. I know that was only a decade ago, but I mean, a lot has changed in the last 10 years. And I think there was a, some, an assumption for a lot of us that because North Point couldn't build it fast enough in Alpharetta, that putting Andy on a screen, and, you know, investing X hundred thousand dollars into a location was just going to be instantaneous success. And I think what all of us learned is, oh, that isn't the formula. And it still surprises leaders today. I mean, was that a shock to you that it's like, how could I go from 500 to 130 in like 60 seconds? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I think, you know, and, and having been on staff and, and watched people you know, standing against the wall all service or standing out in the hall because I couldn't get in and get a seat. You know, it, it was incredible to see this magnetic thing the Lord was doing. And and yet you're right, it was really easy to assume that if you just go kind of turn on the video projector and crank up one of those, then you'll have the same exact experience. And what we all discovered is that there is a leadership component hmm. to this that you just can't factor out. And um, sure, I think you can get some people for a season to show up for a show, uh, but that was none of our objectives anyway, right? That was none of our, our ambitions. We want to help lead people to grow in a relationship with Jesus. We want to see lives actually change. Right, and not just lives, people attending. Exactly. And lives only change when people engage in the mission, when they're in a small group environment, when they're inviting their friends, when they're serving, when they're giving, when they're you know, doing all these things, which takes leadership to lead people in that direction. And so that, that was a humbling uh, recognition. Um, but, uh, but it's been a great one as well, because uh, it's caused us to put the focus 
where it needs to be and, and finding great, healthy leaders and, um, and, and building a, a great leadership culture. Well, and that's one thing I've heard Reggie Joyner say numerous times that, you know, you think because you see Andy as a communicator all the time and you hear him occasionally at Catalyst or something like that or listen to his leadership podcast. But Reggie Joyner would say Andy's a phenomenal communicator, (laughs) one of the best alive today, but he's an even better leader. And I think that's the part you forget when you're trying to lead a church because everyone says, well, just give me the right video and give me some money and give me the download. And, you know, we got an instant church and it's like, no, there's a component. Like you got to pray, you got to be on your knees. You've got to be in the community. You got to build relationships. You got to build a team. You got to raise money. You've got to raise vision. You've, you've got to cast a clear and compelling vision and get people who don't go in the same direction, going in the same direction and all that. And that's what makes church tough but you didn't stay at 130 people. So the story of Athens Church, it's been phenomenally successful. You guys just opened up an 80, another 80,000 square feet of space and a brand new auditorium. You're seeing three or 4,000 people every weekend. When you had your 10-year anniversary, what, like close to 7,000 people showed up? It was mm-hmm. crazy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you've really seen a lot of lives change and a ton of young lives too, because you've really made an impact at the universe. Is it the university of Georgia? Here's my Canadian show. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yes. All right. So, um, yeah, so, so you've seen that, but while things were going great on the outside, things were not going so well on the inside. So tell us about that journey, because I think you pretty much have a universal audience and people saying, yeah, the interior struggle is probably bigger than the leadership struggle even. Yeah, man, it, it really was. You're right. God was being incredibly gracious to uh, the, the story of Athens Church and, and just brought some world-class leaders here and and gave us some really unique influence. And, and man, it's been the honor of my life to, to be a part of that story. And as I mentioned about just the weight of leadership, um, you know, the, the, the weight of life was building during that time as well. We have three children. Uh, our children are now, uh, 16, 14 and seven. Mm. And, um, Bonnie is, is an incredible lady and she's been just an, an, an amazing teammate. But Carrie, what I began to, to slowly realize, and, and I eventually had to kind of crash into this before I realized it is that the, the first 15 or so years of my life, uh, as, as my buddy John Woodall would say, the formative years, hmm. um, those were such broken times in my life. My parents were divorced when I was about five. My mom really wasn't uh, a part of my life. My dad was in and out of several marriages. And, um, and there, was, there was so much unhealth that developed in me during that time. And I didn't realize it, but really the foundation of my interior life was just cracked. It was broken. And, uh, from the outside, things looked fine, but the way that I functioned on the inside, the things that were driving me, uh, the, the motivations, the fears, the insecurities, um, were just, they were, they were so prevalent and they were so strong that eventually they began showing themselves more and more. And specifically for me began showing themselves more and more at home. Okay. Um, So that was the weak spot. It didn't show up at church as much as it did at home. You know, uh, Carrie, this, uh, the, the whole story saddens me to admit though I'm very thankful for the Lord to be able to, to, to redeem it. But I really think looking back, I think I learned some of these ideas more effectively at work. And I think part of it, I learned it as a bit of a survival technique, because if you treat people like jerks at work, they're going to leave. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll just quit. And, and then ultimately there goes the success of your organization. 
unfortunately or, or unfortunately, people at home will often endure it. Um, and not forever, but yeah. for a season, uh, they will often endure it. And, and the people that love you the most can oftentimes get the worst from you and, uh, and, and they can, you know, be, uh, be impacted the most deeply. No. So you, you were being wildly successful at work, but at home, it was getting worse and worse. What were, what were some of the things that were happening? Was it like a mood thing at home? Was it just, that's where you became unhinged or like what, what, what went on to the extent that you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, man, I, I really, I'm, I'm honored to, to be able to share it. I really, my hope is that it's really helpful because mm-hmm. Carrie, I do realize this about my story. Um, there's not a ton of people listening to this that, relate to, you know, their church service having almost 7,000 people show yeah. up to and opening 80,000 new square feet of space. I mean, that's just a, a really unique grace. But I think there's a lot of people that relate to some of the internal and interior battle um, that that I've had to fight. And so um, the, the, the tensions that I began noticing at home were connected to the fact that I found myself just growing more and more frustrated. Um, I, I, I felt like the frustration was with the people in my home, in my family, uh, my, my children, my my wife. But the truth is, my frustration was really growing with people all over my world. Whether that was the tech support call that I was on, whether it was the people in traffic, whether it was the the slow grocery line person in front of me. Um, all of a sudden, this this negativity, this criticism, this harshness, this judgmental feeling was was spewing out of me more and more and specifically uh it was it was impacting uh, my my relationships at home it was it was having a really negative effect so it wasn't so much that you know bonnie was doing anything or the kids were doing anything they just became the focal point of your frustrations yeah you know i think if you would have stopped me at the time i would have said well if bonnie will just do x y and z mm-hmm. and if the kids will just do a b and c well, then I, I won't be frustrated anymore. But I think Bonnie would tell you, looking back, is she kept trying to change X, Y, and Z. And then I would just add another five or 10 things onto the list. And eventually she came to the recognition that, look, this dissatisfaction that you're having, no matter how much I change, it's going to continue to be there. And so this is something that is going on inside of you. And that was very hard. I would say almost impossible for me to see at the time because. The, the frustrations that I sense related to her and my kids, I mean, they were real. They, were, they weren't, you know, completely crazy. Yeah, you didn't fabricate they, them, but you turned right. a two into a nine. Is that the kind of thing? Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. And then because of the, what I would say now, because of the emotional unhealth, because of the brokenness of kind of the foundation of my interior life, the way that I was responding to that was so unhealthy. So when I would get frustrated or when I would get upset, I would, uh, I, I, Andy's taught me this term. It's really helpful. I would power up, you know, mm. I, I tend to think of a, a peacock, you know, putting out their, right. their feathers, or I think of a, a cobra, you know, kind of, uh, rearing up if you will. And for me, that was raising my voice, raising just the intensity. Um, honestly, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but, uh, an intimidation kind mm. of, approach to leadership in my home. And uh, man, it was it was having a lot of negative effect. Now, I, I think a lot of leaders can relate to that. And you know, I burned out 
over 10 years ago now. And prior to that, we probably had the roughest patch in our marriage where my wife would say, yeah, I saw those characteristics in my husband as well. And, you know, I can only speak as a guy, but I think there's a lot of guys listening who would probably say, yeah, it probably comes out in some very unhealthy ways. How did you see that? Like, like was Bonnie trying to tell you, Hey, Sean, pay attention to this. And like, did you see that at first? Did you realize you were doing it? Or how did you come to the awareness that, oh my goodness, I think I might have a problem? Um, Carrie, I, I, I've learned so much through this season, man, and I have so mm-hmm. much more to learn. But I want you to just think about this as a, as a man, okay? Sure. There are a range of emotions that we all experience. But as a man in our culture, there are several that honestly are off limits. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is... Um, Fear, weakness, sadness. I mean, you're not really a man in our world if those are a normal part of your emotional experience. That, that's, that's the John Wayne version of masculinity yeah. that many of us have embraced. And so as a result, anger and frustration, those are tolerable emotions societally for men. And, and it's why... So many of us don't know any other way to express ourselves, and we just feel like we just stay frustrated or you know pissed off so yep. often. Um, and 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 that again is societally acceptable. And so I think you know if you were to ask me, you know, Sean, are you aware of this? I would say yes. And and if Bonnie were to point it out to me, I was not at the place. I was not emotionally healthy or emotionally mature enough where I could receive the correction from her mm. because I felt so defensive. I felt so self-protective that I, that I just couldn't, I couldn't receive it at the time. So inevitably when she tried to point that out to me, I just inevitably pointed out five things back at her yeah. that she needed to correct as well. And so I, I wasn't very teachable at all in that sense. No, I think uh, I can relate, and I think a lot of people can relate. Did you have, would you say, looking back on it, I know you've done a lot of counseling, and we're going to hear some stuff about that, but did you have control issues, um, you know, in your 30s? <laughs> did, were, you, were you, like, was control a big part of that story or not so much? Oh, man, absolutely. And it's honestly why I'm so glad that we're going to have this conversation with a group of leaders, because I think there are some common leadership characteristics mm-hmm honestly, that make us really good at what we do, that make us successful and probably make us drift toward leadership roles in life. And a lot of those are decisiveness and control oriented things and uh, strong opinions on things. You know, those things tend to lead us toward leadership roles in life. And yet when you put those in the context of, you know, loving, healthy relationships and specifically it with a baseline of emotional unhealth, then those things come out in, in really uh, unfortunate ways. So absolutely, I, I felt like, um, I actually, I remember this one point in time or earlier on in my ministry, I remember uh, telling Bonnie that I felt like one of my strengths was seeing the, other, the things that other people did wrong. And I felt like that a nickname that I deserved in life was the enforcer. And so I just, I felt like it was just my role and my opportunity to just enforce everybody else's wrong behavior. And, and it was comedic at the time, but, um, the more that became uh, a reality specifically in our home, the, the comedy of it left pretty quickly. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I think in the marketplace, and we won't just talk about in the church, but in the marketplace, you get rewarded for a lot of those characteristics and qualities that at home, um, just, yeah, they don't help building, as you say, healthy, emotionally sound, and even vulnerable relationships with people. They just don't. No, they, they, absolutely they don't. And, and, and the truth is, Carrie, I would say, even in the uh, even in the public sector, work wise, I think they work in the short range in yeah. the short run. Yeah. I think if you lead that way over a long period of time, you either end up driving away some of the other great leaders that are around you, or you surround yourself with people who just kind of appease you and do what it takes to, to keep you from getting frustrated, right. which means you're really not going to have world-class leaders around. Because you. you just pay them every two weeks and they stick around for that, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it, and, the, and the truth is, Carrie, in a lot of those situations, they're not emotionally healthy people themselves either. You know, when right. one of the things that, that Bonnie and I learned through this journey, and she would be quick to tell you this, is she had a role in this dance, if you will. Mm. And I brought all of my own emotional health. But for her, there was these codependent elements that she was living out that were connected to to some of her story that were probably making it possible for us to live in this place of unhealth as long as we did. Yeah. Did you have uh, members of your team, staff or elders or key volunteers at the church push back and say, hey, Sean, take a look in the mirror? When you looked at our family from the outside and when you looked at me from the outside, I really don't think you could see these as glaringly, nearly so, as much as you could at home. So I think there was enough distance for most of those people that they didn't see it. Now, I will say this, uh, sports have been a big part of our kids' lives. Mm. And if you saw me in a sports setting, the intensity dial was way up. I mean, I'm just, I'm so humiliated to say this, but, you know, third grade football was way too big a deal for me. And, and my intensity came out uh, in those circles. So I think that the people that saw me there would have probably thrown a, a yellow flag, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but outside of that, I, I don't, I don't know how many people were able to see it as clearly as the people that were in the home. Well, and sometimes Sean, you know, I, I so appreciate that. Sometimes I think that happens where, you know, we're almost split personality. You're doing a great, a decent job at work and you know, the hard edges just don't bump into people the same way they do at home. And yet eventually for you, a few years ago, it hit a, an inflection point, a crisis point. Do you want to take us to that moment you ended up taking, like what was sort of the bottom for you and mm-hmm. how did you know, okay, I just, I can't live this way anymore or, and our family can't live this way anymore. How did you get to that place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I, I, I so wish Bonnie's voice were a part of this conversation because she's got so much to offer. I think she would tell you that um, the bottom for her and for our kids were probably the preceding years uh, before Labor Day of 2012. Uh, leading up to that time, I think she would say my, you know, uh, th- these things that I just mentioned, in- intensity, harshness, critical, judgmental, um, impatient, intolerant, all, all these kind of things, those were mounting and were having uh, a huge effect on her. My oldest son had just become 12 years old. And we used to have this kind of cute tradition where I would fix oatmeal on Saturday mornings and kind of oatmeal with dad. And, um, the truth is even the good things that we were experiencing together, my unhealth was making them not super enjoyable, whether it was the trip to Disney or whether it was the vacation or, or the oatmeal with dad. And so this specific, uh, 
weekend morning, I'm making oatmeal and my oldest son is not eating it for whatever reason, the way that I want, as fast as I want, he's not eating all his food. I don't know. So I begin to get on to him about it. He um, is 12 years old and kind of starting to develop his own attitude and starts to kind of talk back a little bit. And man, I just, I just erupted. I, I, um, I was, I was screaming and I was hollering and uh, just being, you know, as I mentioned, powering up, just being a total jerk. And, and Bonnie stepped in in that moment. And all that did was turn up the volume for me. Um, that made me feel disrespected and devalued and all that when truthfully she was just trying to get our family to function at a, in a healthy way. And Carrie, I just started just screaming and man, I'm just telling the truth. I, I was, I was cussing and she went into the bedroom and I went in and I just punched a dresser as hard as I could. And I, I slammed a door and I mean, it was, it was just a, a heartbreaking um, experience. And I'm, and I'm thankful to say that I, that I wasn't ever physically abusive, um, to, to my family, but it was, uh, I mean, she, she would tell you that her experience, she would categorize as emotional abuse. And, um, it was incredibly painful, uh, for her And, and looking back on it, man, I could just, just cry my eyes out, um, thinking about, you know, that interaction and, and others leading up to that. And so, so that weekend, um, she reached out for help. Uh, by the grace of God, we had a mentor couple in our lives, and, and she contacted them. And I had two accountability partners, and she contacted them. And so, you know, your question was, it was the low point. I would say for me, the low point was the next year after that, mm. because I spent about a year feeling really misunderstood and feeling really defensive and protective and um, feeling like I was being accused of things that weren't accurate. And I just had a really hard time seeing it clearly. And so uh, it it took uh, about a year. Eventually, the elders of Athens Church got involved. Uh, They were fantastic. They were great. They were supportive. And and, um, and, and they eventually um, agreed to allow me to have some time off from leadership, which I so, so desperately needed. Mm. Thank you for the honesty behind that, Sean. And, you know, that's just that that's I think a lot of people can relate to that because when you've got the problem, often, you know, your problem is I don't have the problem. Everybody else has the problem. And so you go into that period of exile where you feel misunderstood. And I also appreciate you saying, you know, Bonnie's voice is so needed. And I've wondered about that because I've talked to, uh, you know, I've had female guests, women guests on the podcast before, but often, you know, one of my boundaries is I tend not to build friendships with women (laughs) just because I'm a married man. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. a boundary thing. And maybe that's way too conservative. I don't know. Um, but like I've met Bonnie before, but I don't really know her. But maybe in a future episode, we can do like a couple's version of this. It's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm speaking to oh, you man. because we have spent hours and hours and hour, like, you know, days yeah. together over the years. And, right. you know, we just we just know each other that way. So I just want to say that to all the listeners who might be like, yeah, why isn't Bonnie on this? So that's specifically why, but that's not saying never. It's just you were yeah. in my relational circle. And so that's why I'm getting your vision of the story. I love that. And she would have been uh, horrified if you asked her to be a part of it anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but she, she she does have 
uh, a lot to offer because she, yeah. um, you know, she, she had a, had a really, really vital vantage point through that. Well, time. and you bo- both had to have some fight in it. Not, I mean, fighting with each other, but fighting for your marriage. And she mm-hmm. obviously was fighting for the marriage and I'm sure she mm-hmm. had her share of issues she had to work through, but you decided not to pack it in because I mean, that was sort of the moment too, where I think a lot of guys are like, that's it. My life's over. Like I've got no leadership left. I, I, I might as well just have an affair. I'll quit my job, whatever. As you headed into that sabbatical, what was going through your mind? Yeah, man. I mean, first of all, I just want to say again, because I know there are leaders out there that are in this season right now. Carrie, Bonnie, I've been married for 24 years. Mm-hmm. We we promised we would never even mention the word divorce. Like it's not even ever going to be a part of our vocabulary. And we both love Jesus. And with all, all of that being said, I can assure you that during that year or so period after uh, that major explosion, I had no idea if my marriage would make it or not. And for me, and, and in our world and in this, in the, in the ministry world specifically, I mean, my whole livelihood is attached to that. Yes. I mean, everything I love and hold dear is ultimately connected to my willingness to love God and, and love my wife and, and live out my faith in a, in a real way. And so it was a, uh, it, it was a horrifying, uh, horrifying season. And, uh, and I felt incredibly alone. And even though I, I, there were people around me and I, and I wasn't alone, I just didn't feel understood. And, and, and the truth looking back was, um, I just wasn't able to see, uh, very well at the time. And so, um, so yeah, I was just incredibly grateful that the elders, um, allowed me to, to have, to have that time off. And I think, uh, there was another question you asked there related. Well, let me let me go back a little bit more because you tipped something in my mind. You had mentioned, and I know this is true of you, that Bonnie had called your accountability partners. And those were not new accountability partners. So the elders got involved. She called the mentoring couple, but she also called your accountability partners. Now, I just know because I know you that these are people you've tracked with for what, 10 or 15 years? Two yeah. of these guys? And you make a yeah. trip with them every year? Mm-hmm. Did they, because a lot of people, you know, people who don't have accountability partners or anybody who's close enough to see this stuff, they're, they're going to have a much harder time coming through what you came through. But, you know, did they know it was that bad or were you giving them a version of how tough it was and Bonnie kind of blew the whistle? How did, how did that work? Yeah, I think that <laughs> they didn't fully know how bad it was because the only version they got for the most part was my version. And I really don't think that I was completely trying to be deceptive in my version. I think that's truly how I saw it at the time. Right. Hey, Bonnie needs to do this and the church yes. needs to do this. Yes. And, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, you're right, Sean. And I, I would reach out to them from time to time when things got hard. And I believe this is fully true. Also, it just wasn't the full story. I would say to them, man, we're really under some spiritual attack right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I feel really frustrated and, you know, I'm having a hard time with this and that. And, and I so believe in, in the truth and validity of, of spiritual attack. And I think that was real. What I couldn't see was that wasn't all that was going on. There were some broken things inside of me that were also major factors uh, during during those times. And so I think what was helpful at that time was they were able to finally hear Bonnie's vantage point. I mean, they'd been my accountability partners for many years, as you mentioned, but Bonnie had never called them on her own. Hmm. You know, she, she'd never, you know, gone out of the way to just personally make a call to them. And when she did and, um, you know, they were able to hear things. I think it was it was 
definitely eye-opening for them. It was it was not the version of the story I think that they perceived prior to that call. Right, or the story, the version of the story that that I think you raised a really good point that you honestly believed, right? Mm-hmm. Like you weren't lying to them. You you know maybe you're like giving yourself a little bit of charity here or there, but at the end of the day. I mean, sometimes when we get into those situations, that's how we really see the world. The whole board is against me, which wasn't your case. Or, you know, the world is against me. Or my wife, if she would only understand. Yeah, that's really helpful. And for those of us who are accountability partners to each other, you know, that is a good question to incorporate in that is like, well, what would your wife say? How does how does your wife feel these days? Well, she feels, but I think it's unreasonable. Well, what if it's mm-hmm. not unreasonable? Okay, mm-hmm. so what, because you're in a very different place now. And I really, really mm-hmm. liked the old Sean, but I love the mm-hmm. new Sean. I I really, really do. And God has done an incredible work of restoration and redemption in your life. And by the grace of God, you know, you've, you've been able to continue to lead the church after the sabbatical. Uh, You've continued to be a family. And I think your family is in a very, very different place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm just reminded for people, because because I see this on my blog a lot, people are like, you know, well, you know, all leaders are fake or whatever. I don't think it's that leaders are fake. I think it's just the struggle is real, and we all combine yeah. as very broken people. Mm-hmm. And as our mutual friend Reggie Joyner uh, says, God doesn't use perfect pictures; He uses broken people. And mm-hmm. he writes a story of redemption and grace in our lives. And I think that's very true. Mm-hmm. That's true of every biblical character, you know, from Moses, you know, the exception is Jesus. Um, that's it. Yeah. Everybody else is broken. Paul's not whole. <laughs> and they ended up killing him. So Yeah, they ended up killing so. him. He was perfect. So um, how did that turnaround start for you? I know it involved counseling, right? Yeah. Did it start there or like walk us through that? Yeah, well, well counseling, first of all, has been a pretty long-term part of Bonnie and I's story. I mean, even from early on in our marriage, we both came from, you know, pretty broken, um, home settings. So we, uh, we started into that journey earlier on and we've been through, I would say different, uh, waves of that during the different times. Um, but I think, uh, you know, when, when this, um, kind of defining moment of Labor Day of 2012 hit, we, you know, involved the accountability partners, involved the, the mentors, and then eventually the elders got involved and we were about a year or so into the process at that point. And honestly, Carrie, I was absolutely exhausted. And I think I was I was exhausted from fighting this fight of trying to protect myself and defend myself and and explain how I was right or things weren't as bad as as Bonnie or others might have thought they were. And and when the elders finally offered me the time off, which came at, at uh, my mentor's recommendation, um, oh, my goodness. I mean, it was it was like a breath of fresh air. I was like, yes, I will take it. I, I was mm. so glad. But I, I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what would happen, but I did know that I was tired and I, and I desperately needed a break. And so for me, I took off about two and a half months. And, um, that time ended up, I think, saving my life and my leadership. Uh, I, God showed up in that time in such an absolutely miraculous way. Um, it, uh, I, for the most part, I mean, I was around some, but for the most part I left um, I, I was away from home a good bit during that time. And Bonnie kept going to our small group. We had a couple of small group we were part of. She actually, that fall, went to our staff um, retreat, a weekend retreat away without me. Uh, she continued to participate in everything. I completely disconnected from Athens Church. I turned off social media. Uh, I didn't check any emails. I had no clue what was going on at our church. And I took, um, I, I would say that 
the, that period of time was broken into three parts. The first part was a month of what I would call just decompressing, unwinding, resting. Uh, I was actually took a little trip with my dad for a few days during that time. Uh, I went to bar at a friend's lake house for a few days. I went to a monastery for several days. It was just decompressing. And it was the first time in my adult life that I had ever had a season where there was zero responsibility and zero things to be done. But I can't even explain the power of that time. And, and I, I read uh, a book, um, I read multiple books, but I read a book called a praying life during that time, which was really powerful for me. I mean, I read a lot of really, really great stuff, but so that first month was kind of decompress, if you will. The next month was what I would call some of the deeper work. And, uh, at the time, I didn't even like the word soul and I didn't even like some of that language. It just, uh, it just felt so like, I don't know, like somebody sitting around in Birkenstocks, you know, hugging a tree. I, I don't know. It just, just felt ridiculous. Making to me. fun of us Canadians. Okay. Uh, kind of, yeah. not yeah, real. Okay. No, I know but, what you mean. Cause the old Sean would have hated this. Yeah. It just, I just, that just wasn't my jam, you know? And so, um, but I, I took, um, the, the, that next month, I took two weeks and I did a counseling intensive. This was three hours a day for two weeks. And uh, actually, I, I'll share my, my counselor's name because he was so powerful. But Michael Cusick, his ministry is Restoring the Soul. And m- God used Michael in a way that no one has really ever been used in my life before. I think my heart was finally prepared to hear but he was able to communicate some things to me in a way that I just had not ever been able to receive and understand before. And it was so evident that he was for me. And it ended up being a just pivotal, catalytic um, moment. And so during the rest of that month, I actually went back um, to a men's ministry weekend with him, a thing called Marked Men for Christ. And that was a really powerful experience for me as well. Um, and then I spent some time downloading for that from that. Um, and then and then I came back home. Uh, and then the last kind of couple of weeks were really preparation to to reenter um, things. And um, it was it was absolutely a game changer for me. And, I, and I've just become a, a massive fan of those type of, of leadership opportunities. What um that that's so good. And you know, that whole idea of decompressing for a month and then, and then actually doing the deep work. What were some aha moments for you? How did you finally look in the mirror rather than through the window? And you know, how did you make sure that you looked inside? Like what was, what were some of the turning points specifically for you? Um, I'm, I'm smiling as I think about the answer to this question, because I still don't think I was smart enough to, to do it or figure, figure it out. Yeah. Michael was so good. He spent almost the first entire three days getting to know me and my story. Um, and so it was like just at the deepest level, so much stuff I could, I could share. And I had already shared some things with him before I went out. Um, he's in, in Denver, by the way. And, uh, and then Bonnie had talked to him on more than one occasion. So he had some pretty good information. But then on about the fourth day, he actually made a presentation to me. And it was almost like a presentation to the board. Hmm. And it was... It was, here is Sean C. as I see him. And what was cool about it was, it was almost like he came and sat down beside me and put his arm around me and was like, hey, let's look at this together. And whereas in the past, and I think this is really significant, in the past when people had talked to me about me, I felt like it was an attack. 
I felt like it was correction and criticism and here's what you're doing wrong. And so immediately, you know, if if someone walks up to you right now and throws a punch at you, you're going to put up your hands. You're going to put up yourself in defense. If someone comes alongside you and puts their arm around you, there's nothing about you that's going to be defensive. And so he helped prepare me and allowed me to have a posture to be able to see things. And then as he started explaining what he had seen and what he observed, I'm telling you, light bulbs were just going off for me. And it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, for instance, I'll I'll tell you two of the words he said, he said, when I listen to Sean C's story, he said, two words come to my mind. He said, they are fighter and survivor. And he said, I think you learned early on that you have to fight and survive to make it. And he said, you know, there are people that grow up in financially impoverished situations. He said, I think you grew up in emotional poverty. And he began to share some things with me. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I had never heard that type of information or that language before specifically connected to me and to my story. And it was absolutely unbelievable. It was so helpful. And it just opened up a, a whole new category for me. That's so powerful, you know, and, and I, I can relate to that as somebody who's started counseling 14 years ago or so, 13 years ago, it was the hardest thing in the world for me to walk through the counselor's door for the first time. Cause like you, Sean, I didn't have any problems. It was everybody else. And, you know, to actually learn that there are people who love you and who see your weaknesses. And I, I think in many ways that's like Jesus, right? I mean, in Hebrews, it says we have a high priest who is able to empathize with us and, yep. He really loves us, but he's like, I love you so much. You know, I just need you to see this and I, I want mm-hmm. you to change. And wow, that, that is, is so good. So um, what were some of the things you did? I know for me, um, grieving losses was a huge part of it. I spent too much time in my burnout and tears. Not enough. No, I, I say that jokingly. It's not too much. I spent a lot of time like crying over things that I'm like, as a guy, eh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Well, apparently it did. I just stuffed it. Yeah. Um, did you have moments like that where you kind of saw your whole life differently? And then, you know, how did you, how did you emerge out of that? Yeah, I really did. I mean, again, he, he helped me see so many new perspectives and see myself in in such a new light. And he, um, he also was the first one that introduced me to uh, the author and speaker Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've become a bit of a Brene d- disciple in, in recent years. I've read uh, everything that she's written and then some. Um, but uh, yeah, so he began to talk to me about the concept of shame and and uh, I think just began to give me some some freedom and permission. There was also we had some really meaningful moments of healing prayer yes. um, that were significant. Um, you know, there were, he, uh, man, I remember one of the really, uh, awesome assignments he gave me. He said, okay, today, when you go back to the place where you're staying, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the timer on your phone. I want you to turn everything off and get in a completely silent place. And I want you to set the timer for 20 minutes. And for 20 minutes, I want you to just be alone with God. I just want you to be in God's presence. He said, no, I'm not asking you to pray. And he kind of gave me a little bit of a, a centering word, if you will, to focus on in that time. And this was all, again, new hocus pocus, weird stuff to me at the time. But I'm taking this guy's word for it because I have a lot of respect for him. And, and, and um, he's an awesome follower of Jesus and just a, a really great guy. And so 
So he said, um, let me tell you what's going to happen. He said, about a minute into this, your mind's going to go, hey, wonder how the Yankees did yesterday, you know, and, and you know, your mind's going to begin to wander. And then what he told me next was so powerful for me. He said, Sean, when that happens, I don't want you to envision in your mind that God just got mad at you and said, hey, why don't you stop doing that? Stop getting distracted. Can't you focus what's wrong with you? He said, I, I want you to just envision God saying, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Hey, we'll, we'll take care of that stuff in a little while. Why don't, why don't we just be together right now? And Carrie, for the first time in my life, I began to experience some silence and solitude and giving my heart and my mind and even my soul just some space. And mm. things began to slow down for me and the pressures began to to wash away to some degree. And, uh, and th that has become part of some new habits for me. Those are things that I have continued, but that was so profound for me. And that sounds really simple in many respects, but I can tell you through, you know, 15, 20 years of ministry leading up to that, that had not been at all a part of my spiritual habits yeah. uh, or my emotional habits. And so, so he introduced me to a, a number of things like that, that just gave me some new space. I mean, one of the other things I'm sure we can talk about in a few minutes is when I got back from this time, one of my biggest fears is that I would go back into life as normal. And mm -hmm. so I made some pretty significant changes to my schedule and how I went about managing things um, so that I didn't just go right back to where I was before all of this started. I remember that season as somebody who talks to you on a regular basis. So walk us through some of the changes you made once you got back from your sabbatical, because you're right, you didn't want to go back into that system that produced this. You wanted to re reinvent it. Yeah. So for me, prior to this time, a normal uh, work day would have looked like um, up and out the door at six, get to the gym, uh, exercise for a while, take a shower, uh, breakfast appointment at 730. And then I would pretty much go appointment to appointment um, until about, I was good about getting home on time until about four 30 or five. And then I would head out and be home in time for dinner. And, um, one of the biggest parts of that for me was, you know, I had these like, uh, 60 second gaps between appointments, you know, it was like one thing right onto the next thing, right onto the next thing and very little space. And, uh, I just realized that I'm more naturally task driven than relationally driven. Yeah. And if I allow myself to continue to run at that speed, then I don't ever give my um, heart really any chance to refuel. And I'm not the kind of guy that can just take 15 minutes here and, and, and get all the, the fuel that I needed. Mm -hmm. maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be that way at another season, but I, I'm, I'm not right now. And so um, I also realized, you know, you, you're experiencing this now. I realized that my season with my kids was just that. It's a season yep. that, you know, uh, John Woodall told me at one point in time, we think we have our kids for 18 years, but the reality is when they're 13, 14, and 15, they start leaving. And, uh, you know, definitely happens when they start to get, you know, uh, peers and driver's license and all those things. And so I just began to realize, look, this is a window for me. So now um, my weekdays are different. Um, I'm still up prior to six, but it's now part of the family routine for the first hour and a half or two hours. And I'm there for breakfast and I'm giving kids a ride to school and I'm praying for my kids as they're headed out the door. And uh, it's just it's it's 
it's a much different pace. And then once they're out the door, I'm rarely starting um, my meeting schedule before closer to 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, I am intentionally carving out that space. And it's not always that same amount of space every day. Um, but most days um, for uh, reading, I mean, I'm, I'm just not to be boastful. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm in the word every day. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm praying uh, for my kids, my church, you know, on a much more consistent, faithful basis. The, the things I was, you know, referring to earlier, the Brene Brown books and others, that that reading, that that stillness, those things are all a regular part of my life right now on, on a much more consistent place. And just as a result of all that, I'm just a different person. I really am. Those are big changes. How, how did you and Bonnie, um, I want to say patch things up, but that's not it. How did you create a new relationship? Well, um, we both had to go through our own periods of just individual counseling and healing. I mean, there, there was a period of time in our marriage where she had a counselor, I had a counselor, and we had a counselor, and we met with all of them weekly. I mean, it was it was intense for a period of time. And so there were definitely some, you know, um, repair that need that needed to happen there. Um, but I think, you know, she's an amazing woman and she uh, is really rich in mercy. And she uh, agreed to persevere and give me the space to heal and become uh, more of the man that I that I should have been all along. And um, and, and I began listening to her more and hearing more about her heart and, and being uh, more compassionate. And I, I never even understood, Carrie, the concept of empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never really felt anything for anyone before. And God, I actually began to just pray for that. God, would you build this in my heart? And I, I began to just experience more emotion. I mean, began to give myself permission to be afraid and to be, um, you know, to feel weak about things and just to confess that. And God, this is where I am right now. And as that happened, some of the softer aspects of our relationship uh, began to come together. And, and I think we, she started seeing God's work in my life and um, we, we kind of grew from there. Wow. That's a good news story. I got, I got goosebumps. Um, Mm. What about the, the kids, your three kids? How, how did things start to change with them? Oh man, aren't kids just amazing on so many levels? I mean, they're, they're so resilient and in one sense, and yet they're just so, you know, so willing to receive you back and, and, um, and just with open arms. I mean, my kids have been absolutely amazing. Um, I know that they have seen the changes and I know that they, (laughs) unfortunately, they still see the areas that need to change. I, I by no means want to give this impression that, Hey, I went away for two and a half months and I came back and I'm no longer a jerk dad. No, there's still lots of apologies. There's still lots of, um, you know, hey, I need to go take 10 minutes and and get along by myself before I respond to this and whatnot. Um, But it's really incredible because my two oldest sons specifically, I've been able to talk with them about this journey that I've been on. And it's opened up a new dialogue and a new language for us. And, um, and I think for them getting to see the change, uh, themselves, I think it's been pretty powerful for them as well. I can vouch for that. You know, after my sort of period 10, 12 years ago or whatever, I've been, you know, I, I, I think the ancients, like honestly, because, you know, before 
leaders who are listening think like, what, what is this? I, I believe that this is what the ancients called sanctification. I think this is what the scripture talks about as the work of the Holy Spirit, that, you know, we really do become new creations in Christ Jesus. And that that is a brand new, like that's a lifelong process, right? You're not done, Sean. I'm not done. This is, this is going to continue. God is going to chip and chisel and remold and remake until you and I stop breathing, or at least I hope so. You know, that, oh, that, no. that would be the hope. But, you know, my kids who are now 24 and 20, you know, I've had to apologize to them for, you know, frustrated dad, or, you know, we used to make fun of the Simpsons, angry dad. They're like, that's you. It's like, no, it's not. Right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but you know, I still don't always get it right. But I remember a few years ago, he was probably 18 or 19 when my son said, you know, dad, you don't always get it right, but man, do I ever see the change? And do I ever see you working hard, you know, at home and Mm. with mom? Mm. And that's one of the most meaningful pieces of feedback I've ever gotten from anybody. Isn't it powerful, man? Mm. I mean, it's, and, and again, Carrie, I know that there's a lot of people listening to this that are in ministry, but my, my, my second son said something to me similar not long ago and, and just said, dad, I just want to tell you, we were, it was kind of a family encouragement time. And he said, I just want to tell you that, um, I know that you're like, you know, a professional Christian. I know that you're a pastor. I know this is what you do. He said to do this. Yeah. He said, but man, I just want to tell you that I, I really see this in you. I see a genuine love for God inside of you. And I see you genuinely trying to pursue God. And, and, and those are so significant because, um, those of us that are in ministry that, that have kids, I mean, one of the main things that we want is for them to know that this wasn't just a job for us, but this was real. And I think allowing them to see some of the struggle and allowing them to see some of the brokenness, is what allows them to see some of the significant work of God in our lives. And, um, and so I hate that my kids have been exposed to my sinfulness the way they have. But I think on, on the beautiful side of that, they have also seen some of the redemptive work of God, and they are seeing it right now uh, in my life. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that is faith building for them as well. Well, and that's the power of using broken people, right? Is your family and the people around you get a front row seat to the grace of God. That's that's yeah. what's so powerful. Has it made a difference? Like I, I, I can imagine, you know, people are you're listening with multiple hats to this conversation, but if you put your leadership hat on, you disappeared from your church for two and a half months or whatever. Mm-hmm. You came back and you're not doing the 7 a.m. breakfast meetings anymore. You kind of show up around 10 or 11 I think the A-type driven people of whom, you know, you and I are both in that category would say, well, clearly your church has fallen apart then, right? Mm-hmm. But, that, but that's not actually true. So uh, your church has actually grown. You're more effective even in ministry. And yet it wasn't that you weren't effective before, which is really interesting. How, how has that played out at work for you? What, what difference has it made? Man, I think it's made a profound impact, um, Carrie. And and again, going back to some of what we were talking about earlier, our, our objective is not just to draw a crowd and put on a show, but we want to genuinely lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And um, to the degree that that is happening in the leadership of our church, it's creating a culture where that's going to happen throughout our church. And so we began to have these conversations at a more real level when I got back and uh, my team has been so incredibly receptive and responsive um, to, you know, just these more authentic conversations. And it's really ch- changed um, the DNA of our church in some, some sense, 
because it's introduced to this level of authenticity that truly does allow people to come as they are, you know, mm-hmm. um, that this concept of no perfect people allowed is, has been something that's been around for a while, but it's beginning to become a, a reality here. And the more real our leadership is, the more real our volunteers are, and then the more real that people feel like they can be walking in the doors. And so from a purely, um, you know, uh, numerical vantage point and all that, our churches, by the grace of God, continue to grow. I mean, we opened this new space in, uh, in July, and in the first um, four months, I don't know, we had over 500 kids and teenagers walk in our building for the very first time. That's crazy. So, I mean, we, we've, we've been incredibly blessed in that sense. So, th- so all that to say, nothing has been hurt from a um, quantitative vantage point of uh, the numerical success of our church, but a qualitative vantage point, it, the life change has become so much more rich mm. and it's opened up a new chapter for all of our leadership. And uh, I just, man, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I, I think um, I think we're now uh, one of the more authentic places in our city. And I think people are getting to you know genuinely experience community and, and God in, in a rich way here. Mm. Sean, you know what's what's kind of weird because I think a lot of leaders go through that pivot point, and hopefully, you know, you come out healthier and 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 more open in the same way that you have. But it's not like that first decade of leadership or eight years of leadership were fake, or like all the mm-hmm. baptisms were plastic, or they weren't real. Like God actually used that season when you were broken on the inside to build a church that was actually doing real ministry. What any thoughts on that? Well, I, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think, (laughs) I think the truth is I see myself right now through this before and after lens, but I don't think God sees me that way because like, I see how much I've grown over the last few years, but God sees how far I still have to go. Mm. You know, he he sees me on the, on the scale of, you know, sinfulness all the way to Christ likeness. And he knows that I'm, you know, probably not even a 10th of the way. And so I, while I have taken some steps over those years, the truth is from the beginning to the end of my ministry, I will be at best a broken vessel that God is graciously willing to use. And so he's willing to, to be glorified all along the way. And, and, and again, the scriptures bear such witness to this. I mean, just so many people you know, throughout the scriptures had these really broken elements to their lives, but it never stopped God's ability to do great things through them. And and that should be hopefully really encouraging for us as leaders that no matter where you are in this journey, Hey, God, God can still use a yes, you know, uh, open your hands to him and, and God can still do great things. Um, but I will say, I believe that God is doing some even richer things and some even greater, longer lasting things because of the more recent work that's happened in my life. I think that's one of the best articulations, if not the best of that phenomenon I've ever heard, because you just hear so many people critique it and going, well, that wasn't real or that was fake and, you know, before and after and why now? And I just think that's right. He's loved you all along. You just, you just had a moment where for the first time, maybe in your life, you could walk into that and accept the redemptive potential of Jesus. And, and that will continue throughout your life. Well, well said, Sean. Well said. Oh, thanks, man. I, and, you know, I think, Carrie, for you and I both, there's a sense in which this scares us and another sense in which we hope it's true. 
I may have only experienced the first couple of chapters in this book. I mean, there, yeah. there may still be some other really dynamic things. And part of me is, is scared of that idea because mm. man, it was painful and challenging. The other part of me is excited about it because man, if, if God's already done this much, imagine what, what he still could do. And, um, and I know that it has been as, as challenging as it's been for me, it's been so good for the people around me. I mean, they're experiencing, you know, you graciously said earlier, uh, you, you like, and appreciate the, the new Sean and, um, there's still a long ways to go there, but, but they've really benefited the people that are closest to me uh, from it a lot. Well, and I really believe, I mean, what I wrote in Lasting Impact, that healthy at the top, healthy at the bottom, dysfunctional at the top, dysfunctional at the bottom. And when you got healthier as a leader, you just created a much healthier church. I just think that's true because leadership gets healthy and people have permission to heal and people have permission to say, hey, I'm, you know, I need some help. And, and that's great. So go back to 25-year-old Sean and give him some advice. Mm. Oh, my goodness. That poor dude. Um, really, the, the poor, the poor people around that guy is probably what I what I would say. You know, man, I I think um, that's a really awesome question, and I think if I had a chance to interact with that guy, I would say, um, hey, your your first fifteen to twenty years um, had more of an effect on you than you really realize. But the great news is, God has some really great uh, chapters ahead of you. And, um, for me, when I was 25, I was at Dallas seminary and, and that was an incredible experience. I was building a theological foundation for ministry. Um, but I think what I would say to that guy is that some of the richest and most meaningful things that God will do through you won't be based on your theological foundation. They'll be based on the, the depth of character and emotional health and real life that comes out of the inside of you. So during the season, allow yourself to be open to, to God, you know, exploring and, and, um, digging into some of those parts of your life. But I will say this as well, Carrie, and I think this is important for leadership. There is a sense in which I think that no matter what I said to 25 year old Sean, until I got to 40 year old Sean, I don't know that I could really see it and experience it because that weight of leadership that we talked about. See, I, I was I was the greatest leader in the world at 25 because I'd never led yet. And I had nothing but, uh, you know, unex, unexperienced ideas. And I was the greatest father in the world because I never had to be a father yet. Right. And so I think until I actually got in that, um, I don't even know that I had, uh, you know, the capacity to hear and receive and, and really experience those things. I think for me, I had to come to that place of, you know, coming to the end of myself or whatever you want to call it, recognizing my own weaknesses and limitations to really allow God to do something uh, significant in me. Mm. I, you know, I resonate with that. I'm not sure the 25 year old Carrie would listen very well to the guy who showed up down the road. But what is encouraging, and this is great, is there's a ton of 25 year old leaders listening right now. And some of them maybe are in the place where they feel all the weight and they feel the pressure and things aren't going well at home or they're not going well inside. And I think you just gave them huge permission to say, maybe I got to pay attention to this. And that, that would be, that, that is a huge gift. So, um, there are leaders listening right now who are where you were four years ago, five years ago. What, what would you say to them? I would say, um, First of all, it's okay to be there. Um, 
you know, you, you're, you're not there because you're a jerk or a terrible person. Um, probably you're there because of some stuff that, uh, was done to you and some stuff that choices that you made along the way, which have led to this place. And man, there's great hope and great potential. And if you'll just, you know, open your hands completely to God and invite him to do whatever it is he wants and needs to do, and he, he will do something great. And one, one thing that's, uh, that's really powerful is uh, getting real, genuine feedback um, from the people that are in your lives. And I think is a, a bit of an indicator of where you really are. Sure. Um, our buddy Jeff Henderson asked the question years ago in the series called Climate Change. He said, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been my own husband. I've never been my own boss. I've never been my own kid. You know, so what's it like? And so creating an opportunity that allows the people in your life to genuinely tell you what it's like to be your child, your spouse, your employee, your coworker, um, is, is a, is a powerful thing because we don't know that information until they share it with us. And, um, to the degree that you'll receive that and then take that to God and say, God, what do I do with that? Um, man, it, it unlocks the potential of some really, really good things uh, that can happen. But I think th- the other thing I would say is don't let, to the best of your ability, don't let the fear of the process or the fear of failure or the fear of hearing negative or critical feedback keep you from um, experiencing what could be some of the greatest growth in your life. Um, it's so scary but yeah. on the other side of it is so much life. There's so much freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And life and joy. I mean, it's <laughs> just amazing. You know, when I, when I hit my low spot, I'm like, well, I guess this is how it ends. And no, 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 no. This is how it begins. This is, this mm-hmm. is the good stuff. Now, I doubt they've listened all the way to this point in the interview, but if there are some leaders who are really resistant and they're rolling their eyes <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Any word you'd say to them, just a quick word to them. Yeah. I, I, I would say I really understand that because mm-hmm. I, I remember at the, you know, early part of this process, I just, the, the word soul and healing and all, it just drove me nuts, man. Yeah. I just thought it was ridiculous. And, um, I, I, I would just say that, you know, as I mentioned before, often men don't feel like they have, and I'm sure this is true for women as well, but I, I can only speak as a man. We don't feel like we have permission to be scared or sad or tired or weak. And, um, I would just say if those are things you feel like you've ever experienced, um, then, man, lean into that a little bit more. Find out what's behind that. And again, get that honest feedback. And um, and if you will, and if you'll allow yourself to get an accurate picture of where you really are, then I think you I think you're poised to have a, a really exciting new chapter in life. Well, Sean, this has been uh, been amazing. And uh, I love you, man. And I'm so glad for you, you know, to find yourself where you are. And I'm so grateful that you've been open about your story. You've spoken a little bit about it um, personally. I know you did a podcast with Rich Birch on the On Seminary podcast about it. Uh, you've also talked about it at your church in, um, you know, and you use the, the phrase trending toward healthy where can people, if they want to get in touch with you or, or you know, I don't want you to get overwhelmed by email or anything, but just if they want to learn a little bit more, what's a good place for them to track with you? Yeah, man. Well, we did do a series at, at Athens Church, uh, and it's on our, our website, AthensChurch.com. And the series was called Trending Toward Healthy, and I, I really would 
um, encourage people to to check that out if they if they want to learn a little bit more. Um, but in terms of getting to know me, I'm pretty much on all the social media platforms. And uh, like you, I've got a unique uh, spelling to my name. It's just S E A N S E A Y Sean C. And so you can find me on most any of those. And man, I'd love to to help any way I can. Or as Tripp and Tyler would say, Scene C. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Hey, Sean, thanks so much. I can't wait to hang out again soon. I know you've helped so many leaders. Just thank you so much for your honesty, for your willingness to have the conversation. And I think there's going to be a lot of renewed health in the lives of leaders and families and in churches today because of what you were able to share. Thank you. Oh, man, you're welcome. It is a real honor to be a part. Again, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I love you and your friendship. And uh, just, yeah, thanks for having me today. Wow. I mean, that <laughs> was powerful. Sean, can't thank you enough again. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I could just say, hey, you know, we're done the podcast. Thanks so much to our sponsors, blah, blah, blah. But but I don't think that's where it's leaving a lot of you. Some of you, you, you need to take action. And I don't want to preach at you, but Man, I know when I've been in the ditch or when Sean was in the ditch, one of the best things we did was raise a flag and say, hey, all is not well with my soul and things are not going well. So here's the practical follow-up to today. Who are you going to tell? Like, who are you going to talk to? Do you need to text your best friend? Do you need to go home and apologize to your spouse? Do you need to, do you need to go to a doctor? Do you need to go to a Christian counselor? I mean, what do you need to do if this owned you? Because... I got to tell you, I think the secret to longevity in ministry is not just your skill set. Yeah, we have lots of, you know, sharp thinkers on here. But like if your heart dies or if your family falls apart or your character collapses, that's what takes you out at the end of the day. But but to really come back from it and Sean's there and I think by the grace of God, I'm there. I feel better now, 11 years or 10 years on the other side of my burnout than, than I did a decade before I burnt out. Like... It is unbelievable. If you're willing to do the hard work, if you're willing to do the the praying and the, you know, going to go see a counselor and, and you know, <laughs> let the Holy Spirit dig, 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 dig into the root of whatever is in you that is not good and not from God, just great things happen. So just hear my heart for that. And hey, if this isn't you and, and you're having a great season, I am cheering for you, like completely cheering for you. I think it's amazing. And if you ever need this in the future, it's there for you. So anyway, thanks for a different kind of conversation. Not that we haven't had these before. I've talked to Perry Noble about it in episode two, talked to Craig Jutilla about it in episode five, and you can go back and listen to those. And, and you know, I just, man, I'm there for you. And because people were there for me. And so if we can use the podcast for good, then that's what we're going to do. We're back next week with something completely different, which is one of the fun things about this because it's so eclectic. Uh, We are going to hear from Dave Adamson. And Dave has got, uh, you might know him on Instagram. He's been called the number one follow on Instagram if you're a Christian leader. Uh, He's Aussie Dave. And he talks all about uh, social media and churches and his new book, Chasing the Light. 
And so you're going to love that. We have Christine Hassler coming up a couple weeks from now. And the best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe. Also want to thank all of you who are part of a fantastic launch to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast, my second little side project that I launched earlier this month. It was a phenomenal success. And if you're interested in what goes on in in a country like Canada in ministry and how to do it in a post-Christian context, you can subscribe to that. Just look for the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I'll have a new episode coming out in a couple of weeks on that one as well. It's a monthly podcast as opposed to this one, which is weekly. So we are back next week. Thanks again to trainedup.org and to Rethink Leadership. And in the meantime, I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.